Father, thank you so much for another opportunity to come together and to study the Bible and to grow. I thank you that in your foreknowledge of everything you know, you put exactly what we needed to know in Scripture. And so tonight, I ask you to open it up. And the mysteries of Scripture that find themselves within the pages that are found because the Spirit breathes life to it, we ask you to do that for us tonight. We ask you to breathe life to the Scriptures that they may go deep down into our spirit and challenge us to be the kind of people we're called to be. As I always pray, Holy Spirit, that which is of my opinion, let us be well wise enough to chew the meat and spit out the bone. And that which is from you and from the scripture, Lord, let us be humble enough to let it find good ground and produce good fruit. In Jesus' precious name, will you shout amen? amen. Do me a favor, if you will, and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to be talking about the rainbow tonight. So I'm going to spend the whole hour uh, discussing this thing of the rainbow and try to give it to you in such a way that it'll be very meaningful. I pray it will be meaningful. Maybe a little different than if you just go to YouTube and watch different videos. There's a lot out there that you can get, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different insight on the rainbow. Uh, I think it's such a familiar topic that many times we may not even dig out is there a meaning or a mystery to it. I pray tonight what I share with you will inspire you to never, ever, 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 ever again doubt the faithfulness of your Heavenly Father. So that is my goal tonight of what we're going to study. Genesis chapter 9, verse 12. And then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. And I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. And when I send the clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all of life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on the earth. And God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant. I am confirming with all the creatures of the earth. As I prayed over that this week and where we should go and kind of how we should begin to wrap up our study, I even called my mom this morning shared some of the thoughts that I've been having with her and, uh, you know, trying just to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And I've read the story of Noah multiple times. Uh, and so I'm always interesting when I read it to just say, breathe something fresh, nothing deep, but just freshness. Let me get something fresh out of it. And as I was reading it, several things popped out to me and I thought, you know, I may have read it before, but it never jumped out at me. It never really stuck out. So I want to go back to those scriptures we read. And I just want to pull out some things that I've seen that have intrigued me and then teach on it. First off, God says, this rainbow is a sign of my covenant. I was good with that. That's what I've always heard, that God gave us a sign of a covenant. But the thing that really... I don't say mess me up, but intrigued me to get really excited. As he said, my rainbow is also for all the living creatures. It's not just for humans. And that's strange that God made a covenant with animals. That's how passionate he is about his creation. That he just didn't give it to Noah and say, look, I just want you to know that I'll never ever do this again. I'll never flood the earth and kill everything again. He actually said the rainbow is a sign to all the animals as well. And that just sort of really took me up on a hill. Like I thought, I've never really thought about that. I've read it, but I never thought that the animals would mean that much to God. That he would literally say, this is not just for humans. Every Grab this, because this, is, this really stretches you. That when we see a rainbow and we take a picture on Instagram and we share it on our Facebook and we go, oh, the beautiful rainbow, and we go, oh, that's God's covenant sign for us, I don't know. I'm, I'm going out on a limb to think that maybe there's something also when the bear sees it. 
and the bird sees it and the dogs see it and the cats see it and the horses see it and the cows see it and the goats see it and the ducks see it and the geese see it and like this is the way God literally alludes to it I know it's so far beyond my human logic that that an animal could look in the sky and see this rainbow and then have this symbiotic relationship with its creator but yet when we read Jesus, we, we kind of know that it's possible because he says, if you won't praise me, the rock will praise me. So in the creation, there is something different than what our human understanding can grab that a rock could actually praise God. I don't know how he would do it. I don't see, I don't see mouse in a rock. I don't really see any vibrant life force. But obviously the way God made him, the trees can clap their hands and all creation can praise him. And so it really lent itself to my brain going, oh my God, I've never really thought about this. I've never really thought that God was making a covenant. I, I'm good he made it with me. That's vacation Bible school. But he was thinking about the otters and the fish and the donkeys and the... And, and he was so compassionate toward his creation that he says this, and this, this is what got me too in the yellow. Because often we say God gave Noah a rainbow to prove to Noah that he would never do it again. But God goes a step further and says, hey, the rainbow is not just a sign for you, Noah. It is also for me. So that when it does show up in the clouds... I will remember. This is God of his own self. God says of his own self, when I see the rainbow. So in other words, it's not just us looking up going, oh, he's a good God. He's a faithful covenant God. He'll never flood the earth again. God's on the other side of the rainbow, seeing the rainbow. And he says, when I see it, I'm going to remember something. So you would think an eternal God would not need his memory jog. That's a weird thing, right? He, he's going to always know. So it's not that he might forget it. It's just that it, it reminds of his faithfulness. Watch now. Not just to us, but his faithfulness that resides within his own self. Because this New Testament scriptures even says, even when you're not faithful, he's still faithful. So there's something about the rainbow that is not just kind of us going, okay, good, he's never going to do this again. There's something about the rainbow that when God sees it, it's a reminder that even if we humans are not faithful, he's still faithful. Because I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Had God not given the rainbow to prove his faithfulness, he would never do it. I almost feel like right now it would be raining. I almost feel like, Hugo, these humans, they got to go. They're messed up. And then he says this. Again, in the yellow, God says, when I see the rainbow, not you, Noah, me, when I see it, I will remember this eternal covenant. In other words, almost alluding this, that it doesn't even matter if you humans reciprocate it. It's something that God has done within himself. In other words, he, from God. He probably doesn't even care that the LGBTQ hijacked his rainbow. Because from his perspective, it's something that he remembers, whether we make fun of it or abuse it or not. When the rainbow comes up and we go, oh, rainbow, it's raining, it's so pretty, it's beautiful. Or we go, man, I can't believe that this culture has hijacked God's rainbow. That's God's rainbow. I understand that from a human perspective. But from God's perspective, whether a human hijacks it or not, it's still He's faithful. Even to a crazy generation right now, He's still a very faithful God. But He says this again. And this is where I'm going to hold tonight. Because this, is, this is, excites me. Like, I really got excited about this. I will remember the eternal covenant, verse 16. This is what God says of Himself between God, myself, and everything, every creature on the earth. Now here's where it's about to get really good and really exciting, and I hope it just makes your faith go up about 20,000 times. Here's my thought. 
The rainbow is God's way of remembrance of the eternal, and then I'm using this phrase, symbiotic relationship between four things. Himself, His chosen kids, His creation, and His kingdom. So that when God puts the rainbow out and says, look, this is between you humans and me, and this is between all the animals and me, and all of my creation and myself. What it tells me, if I could draw a triangle, I would draw a triangle between God, creation, creation, humans, humans to creation, humans to God, God to humans. So that they're all symbiotically working together, which is weird. But if you think about it, here's the thought. The rainbow is God's sign to us that he will forever remember creation as it relates to his kingdom. In other words, every ounce of creation serves the purpose of advancing God's kingdom through humans in order to arrive at the one human who will sit on the throne. Everything. Every rock serves a purpose. Every tree serves a purpose. Every bird serves a purpose. And, all, and here's where we, I, I would like to take you mentally tonight. All of creation is in a symbiotic relationship with us and the kingdom and with God and the kingdom, and with us and God. And they work together. They bring themselves to work in harmony. It would take me months of teaching to go through the Bible and show all the places that God used creation to move His purpose forward. Not humans, creation. Where God takes the, the, all of the things that he made before Adam and now God says, look, there's day six Adam. I'm going to make a covenant with Adam. I'm gonna, the humans, not Adam. I'm going to make a covenant with humans, with Noah. Here's my covenant rainbow. But before day six, there were, there were other things that I created. There were other beings and animals and, and life that was going on and I'm going to cut the same covenant with them. In other words, I didn't forget about any of them. I think we see that with the very ark. Is like God was like, yeah, you're going to have to keep them alive because I made them. And then the story reads sort of like, all right, Noah kept them alive. Boats finished. And here's what's weird. If, if you read the story. And it says, and the door opened and Noah and his family and all of the animals come marching out of the boat, right? And we clap and go, oh, he did it. But then you never really hear about the animals anymore. At least as a big group. It's like they just all go do what God created them to do. But the weird thing about it is they show up at the most particular times. And my point tonight is... My belief is, is that at our fingertips of God is all of creation is at his bidding to move his kingdom forward in your life. Amen. All of it. Let's look at it and see. Here's the thought, the rainbow, and I titled it this. This is just my opinion. I'll, I'll try to prove it through the scripture. That God's covenant to it Advance the kingdom was the reason for the rainbow. It wasn't just a, I'm sorry I did this or I did this and I'll never do it again. That's true. He's never going to do it again. But I think there was also a testament of God's nature that when he put the rainbow up, it was a sign of his covenant that, here's my thought, that he is a God that advances his kingdom. And that's why... He would make the covenant with Noah and the animals because he's going to use both to move his kingdom. Here we go, the first one. On day three, 
God creates seed-bearing plants. If you go back and read the days of creation, on day three, God creates the grass and God creates the trees and the, the trees that bear fruit. And I don't know what all trees were in their original creation, but the DNA of every tree we see was put in the creation. Now, if we think about it, we just go, great, he gave us trees, birds have a place to nest. But remember, everything he made is going to enter into a symbiotic relationship to be part of moving the kingdom forward. So if we just look at this just on surface and we say, well, God made the trees, well, we can find a lot of places trees show up, especially the story of Noah. You're going to need all these trees to make a boat. Why? My kingdom has to move forward. Uh, definitely with Jesus, he's going to be hung on a tree and the kingdom moves forward. So God uses trees to move the kingdom forward. But I picked a, what I tried to do is not give you the most logical how God would use creation, but some of the strange stories. And it's the story of Mara. It's in Exodus 15 and it says, The people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. Verse 25, so Moses cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And Moses threw it into the water and this made the water good to drink. And it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you'll listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right, obeying his commands and keeping the decrees, then I won't make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on Egypt. Four, now here's the, watch, the symbiotic relationship between a human, between a healing God, and between a major problem. And the symbiotic relationship that brought about the will of God to the need of a human, weird, was a stick. A stick. I think a lot of times we're looking for big angels, UFOs, lightning bolts. And God's like, you don't understand how powerful I am. I can use a stick to cause my will to manifest in your life. And that's, that's the, what I mean by symbiotic relationship. There's a need... Why doesn't God just meet the need? He could, but because he made a covenant with all of creation, it doesn't bother God. God doesn't feel like he's losing the glory because of it. God says, we're going to use a stick to bring the water. Toss it in and watch what happens. The same is true for, Mo for Moses, who, where this story originates. Pick up that stick, that rod and staff, and throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground, it becomes a serpent. Pick it back up, he picks it back up. What does that stick become? A symbiotic relationship of God to the children of Israel and God to Pharaoh. And in between God and Pharaoh is a stick. And in between God and Moses is a stick. And what God is teaching us is that he has no problem doing that. And because the devil knows it's powerful, what does the devil do? He gets his kids to grab a stick. Hey, if God can use it, so can I. I can manipulate it. And that's why God says you'll have no graven image. It's not because that God doesn't mind having a stick. Is that God knows you'll take the stick and make a God out of it. But it's not the stick that had the power. It was the God that had the symbiotic relationship as creator that gave it the power. But when you give the stick power without the Godhead, it becomes an idol. And so it's how the devil works. Oh my Lord, here is this great thing of a stick, but it wasn't the stick that was God. The stick just carried with it the symbiotic relationship. And the moment the relationship was God was broken, the stick becomes evil. Used for wrong purposes. And so this begins the, how I think we can understand the Bible. Is that God is not just God of you and me. He, he's God of everything. And here's why I say that tonight. I think all Christians know this here. 
We know God uses animals. We know that God uses life. But when you really get down to it and say, but do you believe, Marlene, he could do it for you? That he could use creation to move his kingdom forward in your own life. And I think the challenge is most don't believe it. The second one is day four. Part of God's creation is not just the sticks and plants and grass, but the sun, the moon, and the stars. And remember, he said, I made a covenant with all of creation. My rainbow is a sign that I will remember my covenant to everything I've created. So now, here's what's strange. The sun, moon, and the stars enter into a symbiotic covenant relationship with God to help move the kingdom forward. Where would we normally see this? Well, the normal we would see it would be with the wise men. We saw a star in the heavens. And God used a star to move his kingdom forward to fulfill prophetic purposes. I think if we look at it that God uses the constellations quite consistently to move the kingdom forward. But what does the devil do? He grabs a hold of it. He takes the constellations, constellations, turns them into the horoscope, and the horoscope becomes your God. Because he cannot let God get the glory of the sun, moon, and stars for his kingdom to where you're worshiping God. So the devil hijacks them and uses all the constellations to try to say, because you're a Taurus, this is the way you're going to be. He hijacks it for his own purposes. And if you don't know the power of that, go watch somebody who tries to follow the horoscope. It dictates their life. It dictates everything that they wake up and read it to see what's going to happen to themselves today. I'm not here to get on to you for horoscope, but this is just my personal opinion. It's just demonic because it gets you looking at that as being God rather than understanding God did make it and God does use the constellations, but it has to be within a symbiotic relationship that he uses them to move the kingdom forward, not uses them so you know whether or not you need to get coffee that day. But the story I picked was Joshua. And on that day, the Lord gave the Israelites victory, Joshua chapter 10, verse 12. Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people, and he said, listen to this, this is weird. Let the sun stand still. Let the sun stand still. And the moon over the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still. And the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated his enemies. There is that moving of the kingdom forward. And the sun stayed in the middle of the day and it did not set as a normal of the day. And there has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. But here's what we get out of it. Surely God was fighting for me. He used his creation to fight for his kids. You would think, watch... Typical today, the way we think. You would think God would have just come down and just annihilated them. And God's like, no, 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 y'all are going to fight. But if you'll call out to me in a symbiotic relationship of your need, I have no problem letting my creation back you up to help you win this thing. But you're going to fight, Joshua. I'm not going to come down and fight for you, but, but which is weird, though. Watch this. He does say I fought for you. Wait a minute, How, you were down here swinging a sword? No, I'm not swinging a sword. I'm just using my creation. I, I'm fighting for you because I'm holding the sun and the moon still for you. But I'm fighting for you. I don't like that God. I like the God that comes down with a sword and just kills everybody. Where I just sit back and go, go get them, God. I like that God. I don't like the God that wants me on the battlefield. But it's a symbiotic relationship. He needs you on the battlefield fighting, but if you'll call out to him, he has no problem fighting along beside you in the ways you cannot even fight. In doing the things you cannot even fathom get done. But I love what Joshua did. This is just my opinion. It shows you maybe my faith is a little weak. 
I would have never thought to pray. I think I'm going to pray the sun will stop. <laughs> I would have prayed, let my sword stay sharp. God, send me some more people. I'm tired. Let my, show, let my deltoid stay strong in your life. I mean, those are my kind of prayers. If I would have said, if I would have said hey, we're about to go out and fight, hey, give me your best prayer. And me and Marlene are going to go to battle. When then we're all out there and we go, Marlene, you got the prayer. And Marlene's like, Lord, we just pray you let the sun stand still. I'm like, Marlene, that's the dumbest prayer. My God, somebody else pray other than Marlene. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, you don't even think that way. In, in our natural realm, we don't even think that there's still this symbiotic relationship. And I can say, sun stands still, and the king of glory would go, okay, I will fight for you. But watch, this is very important. God didn't stop the sun to meet some personal need of his. He stopped the sun to move the kingdom. And this is what we have to know. God is not obligated to move creation for you. He's obligated to move creation when you've obligated yourself to move his kingdom. He's, I like to think he's obligated to me. He's not. He's obligated to himself to move his kingdom forward. Which is a really true thought we're going to get to shortly. Here's the third one. On day five, God made the sea creatures. Well, if he said to Noah, I've entered a covenant with all my creation, then God has a covenant with sea creatures. Great white sharks and dolphins. and I mean, the most natural is, of course, Jonah, right? If you think anything, I, I caused a great fish to swallow him. And if you don't think that's weird, not only did he swallow him, he spit him up at the right location. Weird. That means God, in his godness, is like... Matt Willow's like, oh, really? Oh, got to go get a human. Oh, I didn't even have that on my plan today. And God's just talking to that well. Go get this guy, eat him, but don't digest him. And then I need you to go swim. I know you normally don't go that way, but I need you to just go over there. And then as soon as you get close, just uh, throw him up. Then you can go, you just go do whatever you want to do. You can go back and play in the ocean. That's the thought that's going on. And when we just casually read the story of Jonah, that's just kind of what God, and it even says God calls the great fish to swallow him. But what you have to know is there's this symbiotic covenant between that animal and God. So I don't know. I just have a mind that goes there. The whale is just enjoying wellness. And he's just, and then all of a sudden, his little pea brain, there's an implanted thought from the creator of the world. I need you to turn north by northwest on latitude and longitude. And that old whale just. All the way, this is how weird that is. That whale or fish finds a human being in the middle of an ocean. We can't even get the Coast Guard to find people. We've got radar, we've got jets and helicopters. We're looking all over for a little dot in the middle of the ocean. God, it doesn't matter to God. He just sends that little whale to. Spit him out. Jesus owes taxes. No problem. I had a fish swim over and get some money that somebody threw away that they were trying to avoid taxes. They were mad at their ex and threw all this money away. So I had the fish swim down there and get the ex's money that the, wit, that the you know, lady threw away because she was so ticked at him. And I gave it to my son so he could pay his taxes. But the story, which is often misunderstood, is Leviathan. I don't have time to teach on Job, but it is, you want to blow your mind. Read Job 40 and 41. You will be up for weeks. God to Job. To Job. Can you catch Leviathan with a hook? Now, without speaking about Leviathan, if you study him from Scripture, it is a sea monster like a dragon. Like there were literal dragons. I know we see that on Marvel comics. 
but God literally created monsters in the ocean that could fly, that could breathe fire. I think if Marvel could do it or somebody else, I, I think God could do it. Listen to what he says to Job. Can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a noose around his jaw? Can you tie... Now, here's, here's what it's assuming. This monstrous thing, God is so big, he could ride it. Could you catch it? Could you put a noose around its mouth and jaw? In other words, God seeing himself sitting on a dragon. Just like I created it. No problem to me. Watch what he says. Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? Will you beg? Will it beg you for mercy or implore you for pity? And then this phrase, oh, it's mind-blowing. Will it agree to work for you? There's this agreement between the animals and God. It's seemingly like they don't even get much effort. It seems like maybe they don't have a will like we have. It almost seems that he just has to agree because God is the creator. With us, we're different. We're in his image. We have to agree. But not these people, not this animal. Here's what he says. I love it. Or could you make it your slave for life? Oh, gosh, I love this. Can you make it your pet? <laughs> and we thought God liked chihuahuas. God has a sea monster as a pet. God has a sea monster that not even one human can control. Why? Because he has a symbiotic relationship with the animals. They respond to him. What's weird in the Bible, if you want to really grab hold of how powerful the Bible is, it's amazing when God uses an animal, they rarely talk back. And they rarely give him an opinion. I just don't want to carry Jesus on my back, it's hot. I'm just a donkey, I was tied up. Why didn't he use some other donkey? Why me? You don't see that. Why do I got to go carry that prophet? Dad, blame food. I have enough trouble finding my own food. Now you want me to go take a prophet, some food, because of a, some plague. You don't, you don't ever see him whining. It's almost like God has them there to show us what can happen when we just willingly obey. And, but, but humans love to give him opinion. We love to ask him to convince us why. Why do you want to do this with me? Why do you want to break me out of my comfort zone? Why do you want to have me take all my walls down to be used by you? And yet God lends it, and I love this. Look at the end. Or give it to your little girls to play with. It's powerful of what God thinks about his creation. The fourth one, not only did he use sea creatures, he uses land animals. All through the Bible, land animals are used. It's everywhere. He uses birds. He uses donkeys. He uses goats. He uses sheep. He uses pigeons. He uses turtle doves. All through the Bible, you will find a symbiotic relationship between God and an animal. But that animal in that symbiotic relationship, when he shows up, is always in some weird way moving the kingdom forward. That's why a donkey spoke. Why? Because he was moving the kingdom forward in the life of a stubborn prophet. And what's weird is it doesn't even appear like Balaam was really shocked that the donkey could talk. And what's even more strange, it wasn't weird that Eve thought the serpent could talk. Because my belief is there was such a symbiotic relationship with animals and God and God and humans and humans and God and humans and animals that a talking serpent was normal. We're all in relationship with God. And as soon as Lucifer saw, wait a minute, these animals and humans and God are all in this symbiotic relationship, I'm going to hijack it. And I'm going to remove the serpent out of a symbiotic relationship and use it to pretend like we're still in a symbiotic relationship, but we're not. And I'm going to destroy her. All through the Bible, 
But I picked the most common, the Egyptian plagues. It's mind-blowing to me if you just read the story. Because God just like has no problem with this. So the Lord tells Moses in Exodus 8 verse 20, Get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, what does he do? I'll just send the flies your way. I wish I would have seen this. The flies all over. They're everywhere. They're on cows. They're in somebody's ear. They're on somebody's toilet. They're just everywhere. And then the God of all creation what are you doing, Dad? Oh, Pharaoh. He won't let my people go. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm going to use the flies to irritate him. Oh, man, this is going to so frustrate him. Well, what do you think he's going to do? Uh, he ain't going to let my people go because I already used frogs. But wasn't that good when I used the frogs? I said all the frogs, like, hey, and I just used them. It was so wonderful to watch my creation move my kingdom forward. And to watch creation obey and only harden a man who won't obey. So the Bible says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How could God harden his heart and then count him for judgment? The way he hardened his heart is he sent a frog. And the frog's like, just obey. Just obey. Just obey. Just obey. And he's like, no, I won't obey. And his heart was hardened because of a frog. So God sends him flies. I'm going to send a swarm of flies. I had one show up at my recording the other day of Bible reading. Aggravated the hound out of me. I was like, welcome back to the Bible reading project. God, is One fly. Or you lay down at night and it's like, oh, and all of a sudden you're It's like, oh, God, he's here. Jeez, where is he? I can hear him. Could you imagine a swarm of them? Could you imagine God just, listen. I don't know how it worked. He's God. I don't know if he called them all up into the heavenly courts. I don't know if he went down and saw them. I don't know if he implanted it into their little brains, if they even have one. But on some morning, these flies thought, what are you doing today? It's weird. Like I woke up and there was this pile of trash I've been going to every morning. I woke up this morning and had the weirdest thought. Yeah, you, what'd you think? I thought I got to go to Egypt. Egypt? I had the same thought. You thought about going to Egypt? I know, like I never go to Egypt. I, and then all of a sudden their cousins show up. Like, what y'all doing today? It's like, uh, well, we were going to Egypt. Egypt, y'all, we woke up today and thought, hey, why don't we all go to Egypt today? I mean, think about how it must have went down. And they all just they just start flying to Egypt. And everybody's like, dude, what are we doing? I don't know. We heard there's a party in Egypt. Let's go. <laughs> he said, but when they get there and filled with flies and it'll cover the grounds, he said, but this time I'm going to spare the land of Goshen. And I love this. This shows you the symbiotic relationship of God. This shows you the symbiotic relationship. This shows you it's not a fluke. This shows you God is in control. This shows you he's moving his kingdom. He said, but the flies will not be found at all on my people. He's using it to move his kingdom. And he said, now watch, I put it in pink. I am the Lord and that I am present even in the heart of your land. You may have never thought this before. When you're laying in bed going, I don't even know if God cares that I'm even here. And out your bedroom. And <whistles> that little bird's in this little symbiotic relationship with daddy. Not even worried about a worm. Not even worried if his rent's going to get paid. Not worried that the halt's going to kill him. Just chirping away. Here you are with the same God laying in bed. I just don't know if I'm going to make it. I just wish God would speak to me. God, shut up. That dab blame bird right outside my door. Right? That's how God does this thing. 
Take a bird whistling out your window to say, if he will take care of a bird, would he not much more take care of you? And you're mad that he's not showing up. And he's like, dude, I'm using my creation. I just sent you nine butterflies right by you. Do you even know what that means? That they were in a metamorphosis of a cocoon and died and they came to life. Don't you know that I will bring you to life? But we want God to show up with this big cherubim above my bed. With light so bright. Oh, he couldn't dare use a little, a little worm crawling across the concrete. It's God. Number five. Not only is he in covenant with all of creation, he's God over humans. And in the strangest of ways, he uses good ones and bad ones to move his kingdom forward. And it does not feel good to say that. Daniel will say it this way, he rises the ones he wants and he takes down the one he wants. It never feels to me like Nebuchadnezzar could be used by God. The devil must have sent Nebuchadnezzar to you really study it and God's like, no, that was me. I'm moving my kingdom forward. It was me that raised up Pharaoh for such a time as this. It was me that's getting the glory. Don't you dare think when you're sitting there watching Trump or Joe Biden, oh, the Republic, no, it was me. I'm moving things in my kingdom forward. So when I get frustrated about Washington, oh my God, Trump, oh my God, Joe Biden, oh Lord Jesus, what are we going to do? I always remind myself, God is in symbiotic relationship with me and God knows all things, and at any given moment, even if I just paid $76 to fill up my truck, ah, there's something about that that tells me God is moving his kingdom. And maybe while I'm at the pump, uh, is Joe or is it Putin? Who is it? one of them I know it's one of them and I'm watching it tick maybe in that moment I go you know what no matter how bad it gets the kingdom's moving and I'm part of the kingdom I'm never going to lack a thing this is no better time for me to trust him than right now so it forces me to trust him instead of get irritated and mad and because I don't care how bad it gets I wake up thinking the kingdom's moving I want to move with it I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to get stuck. I don't want to think the Republicans are the answer or the Democrats are the answer. I want to move with the kingdom. And that's hard when you're, you bring humans. But Jesus and Pilate, this is, oh, man, a tough one. But it's funny. John 19, verse 9, he took Jesus back to the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? And Jesus gave no answer. Sounds like a rude little fellow, doesn't he? Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? Oh, I love this answer. Oh, bro, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. How dare you to think that you as a human are controlling the very things of God? You are not. God is in control of all creation. And I wouldn't even be here had it not been for him allowing this to happen. So I just need all of us in the room to know it may look bleak, but God is well in control. And he's not on the throne going, oh, what am I going to do about this gas crisis? <laughs> I better get a Republican back in. Maybe things do get better with different parties in control. Maybe, maybe we get a reprieve a little bit. But always know that God is working the kingdom. This brings me to the thought of where it starts getting really interesting. The rainbow is a sign of God's covenant faithfulness. And then this word, don't have time to teach on it, but it sometimes can cause a lot of people to squirm. But he's sovereign over all things. And to a lot of people, the word sovereign scares them because they take it to the extreme. 
Well, you know, they died of cancer. Well, God's sovereign. He led them. Because we take it the wrong way. But I will say this, there's no way you can read the Bible and come out that God is not sovereign over everything. Whether we twist that, well, everything that happens has to pass through His hand. However we try to explain it with our doctrines, our Calvinism, our Armenianisms, our Word of Faithisms, our Pentecostalisms, our Catholicisms, the bottom line to all the isms, God is sovereign over the whole thing and He's headed toward an end point. And there's not a thing in the world you can do to stop Him. He's moving. So this was the question. If He's sovereign... And this is where it gets interesting. If he's sovereign over all things, why do I matter? He's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Why do I even matter? I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do, so why even vote? That's what some people say. He's going to put who he wants in. Why even vote? Well, he's going to save whoever he wants to save, so. And I think that's a good question. If he's sovereign. But remember, his sovereignty, which is strange, comes from a covenant with all living creatures and with humans. He bound his sovereignty into creation and humans to move the kingdom forward. Could God move the kingdom forward by himself? The answer, I would say, is no. The reason is... He chose to involve animals, creation, and humans. I don't know why. If I was God, I'm like, I don't want to choose them. Y'all are going to blow it. Why can't God just come down and just go, and just show up in the sky, blow up, and go, oh, yo, it's me. Believe in me. He could, couldn't he? No. He cannot, for this reason, he's chosen to bring us into the mix to be the symbiotic relationship of witnessing for his glory. So he empowers us. We are the voice, the city, the light that cannot be hidden. But it brings this question. Here's the answer. His sovereignty is in direct correlation to the advancement of his kingdom. He is sovereign in the sense that he's always moving his kingdom forward. Always. Now, I'm going to give you, as soon as you fill that in, I'm going to give you the best I got. And it's, it's not even that great, but it's, I think we'll give you a visual of the rainbow of the kingdom of the kingdom, all of creation in a, um, in a graphic design. So I'll put it up. And I'll just let you look at it. God's sovereign will over all. There's the beginning of time. And then there's the end of time. And the thing God is always working and moving is His kingdom. I put it as a straight line because nothing can stop it. You put Nebuchadnezzar in front of it, it does not stop it. You put Cyrus in front of it, does not stop it. You put Rahab the harlot in front of it, does not stop it. You put Jericho, won't stop it. Nephilim, won't stop it. Evil people, won't stop it. Nothing can stop the kingdom from moving forward. Now, as that kingdom moves forward from point A to point uh, the end, Z, the Alpha, the Omega... As the kingdom is moving forward, it passes through humanity. It passes through creation. As it passes through creation, it gives the opportunity for creation to respond to the kingdom. To those who respond favorably, they move into obedience and become his children. To those who respond unfavorably, it moves into disobedience and they become children of the devil. God is not obligated to leave the line. He's just obligated to keep the line moving. And as the line moves, it attracts people to it who become obedient to it and become his children. As the line moves, it repels people from it and they, 
prove to be children of Lucifer. And the kingdom moves forward. Now under it you will see a graphic that represents all of creation. That God is using creation to move his kingdom forward to determine those who are obedient and those who are disobedient. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 will say, For the word of God is quick, it's alive, it is powerful, and it divides asunder joints and marrow. It cuts asunder. It is a sharp, and this, this phrase that most of us know if we're Christians, it is a double-edged sword. And it cuts double-edged. The way I have it up there is the kingdom is the double-edged sword. It either cuts you for obedience, meaning when it goes into you and you obey, it cuts you for obedience. And it stays in you. The word of God stays in you. You don't bleed out. It becomes part of you. But if he sends the word and it cuts you and you disobey, then it comes back out on the other edge and you die. So it cuts you for obedience or it cuts you for disobedience. It's the same sword. So when God says to Eve, your seed will crush his head, we are 4,000 years removed from that ever happening. And just to show you the sovereignty of God, he said it is certain in Genesis 3 as he did in Luke 1. Nothing will stop it. So when he says to Eve, your seed, and then Cain kills Abel, God's not like, oh man, i got to figure out what to do now. No. When he says to Abraham, she will have a baby in her womb in her old age, and ha ha ha, they laugh. But what God was doing is calling him to the line. And Abraham stepped up to the line and said, Against all hope, I believe you. And he became the father of all who would believe. God always calls us to the line and gives you an option Do you want to trust me or not? You will get the opportunity to trust me. But Mark, here's, what, here's where it gets very humbling. But Mark, if I come calling and you deny me, I'm not obligated to come knocking again. He may. He's God. But I don't think he's obligated to come and knock again. He might. I think it's very important. He did it with Pharaoh. He gave him many opportunities. Back again, ten times. Back again, back again. Why was he doing that? He was giving us the opportunity to know that no matter how much time he gave Pharaoh, he would never change. Never. But it didn't stop the kingdom. God moved it forward. Here's the scripture. Jesus picks up the thought. Don't ever worry about things, what you're going to eat. Why? God has a covenant with all the trees and the fruit and the animals. What you'll wear or the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Your heavenly Father already knows your need. So what does he tell him? Pray? We, he does. We can pray. Whine? Complain? He tells you to do one thing. Above everything else, Mark Evans, you need to seek my kingdom because when you're on the line, all of creation is at your disposal. Mark Evans, when you get out of your selfish, pouty, nervous, anxious-filled ways of fear and you step into my kingdom and you get in the flow of my kingdom, everything I have is at your disposal. All of my creation is at your disposal. My animals are at your disposal. My miracle power is at your disposal. The trees of the field are at your disposal. Nothing you will ever lack when you're on my kingdom line because I will move heaven and earth in covenant with you and creation to make sure, Mark Evans, you never lack a thing. So the question for me is, well, then am I on the line? 
Or am I out here running my own thing going, where is he at? I don't know why. And God's like, well, I'll tell you why, Mark. I told you above all else. I didn't say make me third. I didn't say fit me in your hip pocket. I'm not turning my kingdom to come find you. I'm calling you to my line. I'm not coming out to your line, Mark. I know you want to pout and have a pity party, Mark, but I'm not leaving my line to come out there and pamper you. You come to my line. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Humble yourself in front of me and watch what I do when you humble yourself and get on my line. I will exalt you. I will lift you up. I will show you great and mighty things, things so wonderful it will blow your mind. And I think we kind of like to feel like that that line that says his kingdom is, is, is really more titled my feelings. And I want God to just meet all my needs according to my feelings. Here's my thought. You don't have to agree with it. I just don't think God's obligated all to meet your need if you're not on his kingdom line. He's only obligated to meet everything when above all else you do his kingdom. And I want to tell you something in my own testimony. It makes your hind end tight. When he calls you to the line, he wants you to dream bigger than you're dreaming. He wants you to give more than you're giving. He wants you to forgive more than you're willing to. And he calls you to the line. He says, Mark, you're going to build me a house. And I'm like, I can't. I don't have the money. Three banks have turned me down already. Mark, get on my line and watch what I do. Oh, God. Okay, okay. I'm on the line. I'm on the line. And look what he did. We hadn't missed a payment yet. Matter of fact, blow your mind, I don't do much with the money, but occasionally I get a thought here and there from the people that run it. We pay $1,500 extra every month on it because we got people who give, right? Now, let me go back to this. Several months ago, I'm praying, God, I know you've called us on this corner. I don't want to die mowing grass. Remember that? I don't want to die just, God, not doing what you want me to do. And this was what I heard. Mark, make room for me. All right, make room, make room, all right. So we get together, all the leaders. How are we going to make room? And we all kind of powwow around and go, all right, Sunday, 115. All right, Sunday, 115. That's it, man. Sunday, 115. More room, more room. First Sunday's Easter Sunday. Bad decision. Hardly anybody showed. Stupid. Two people. For four, five, six hours for two people. Whew. So I go sit down, my feet hurt. My lunch is now 3:30. I sit down, I just kind of here comes pouty mark. Don't even know why we did a third service. And I hear Mark, did you make room for me? Yes, I made room for you. Then why are you pouting? I didn't tell you how many people would come. I just wanted to know, would you stand on the line and make more room? Amen. So over a bowl of chori queso, I repented. I said, God, I'm so sorry that I was pouty about the few that showed. And the next week I show up, same thing, just I've made room. There's about eight people. Like I was looking around. I was like, oh. Then I convinced myself, just love the eight. It's not like I hate the eight. But my feet hurt. I wouldn't mind 200, but when it's eight and seven of the eight have already heard me speak. I'm like, why are y'all even here? You've already heard it. Now my jokes aren't even funny. So fake laugh. That's what I tell them. Just fake laugh. I've told the same story three times. Fake laugh. <laughs> I, I, here comes my brain. Stupid. 115's never going to work. And then I sit down at Cherry Queso. 115 probably never works. Dumbest time ever. Nobody. 115 is 3 o'clock before I even eat lunch. Mark, what? What did I tell you to do? Told me to make room. I made room. Good. That's all I've ever asked. Watch what I'll do. That's what I mean by sometimes following the kingdom is frustrating. Because you want 
really crazy things, and God just wants obedience. So the third week, I showed up well-repented, lots of churri queso, and I preached my guts out. I let it rip. I sweated. Why? Because I'm on the green line, and I'll let God worry about everything else. And when you get there, hallelujah, life is wonderful. For you don't worry about anything. He's got it. Well, only seven people came. I don't care. I'm going to get churri queso. But I'll leave you with this. It has to be above all else. In my opinion of Christians today, he's about third or fourth in line. For the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 4, is not just a lot of talk. It's power. This is where I felt when I read this today to do the teaching on the kingdom this fall. God is trying to move us to a place of power. Here's the question. I'll end quickly. Why was the rainbow chosen to be a sign of remembrance? Here it is real quickly. Got three more slides. We'll run through them and let you finish. First off, God is light and the rainbow is the complete light spectrum of the refraction and dispersion of light. I got that right off Google, so don't think I'm smart. (laughs) Except the God is light part. They didn't like God in it. But the beautiful thing about the rainbow is God is light and God used light and water merging together to be a symbolic nature. The water was his judgment and the light was his nature. And when God bursts through it, it's the seven, just to give you something, if you love to study, I don't have time to go there, but but there's seven colors of the rainbow, Roy G. Bibb. There's seven days of creation, there's seven sayings on the cross, and there's seven churches that God speaks to. And each of those give the nature of God that show up in the rainbow of what he's trying to accomplish. Here's the answer, the rainbow of God's design. I'm going to run through all four of them and get them there so you can fill it in, and then we'll conclude. Why would he choose a rainbow, a light prism? Light going, reflecting, refracting off water. In other words, you don't even see the rainbow unless there's water. And water was always the sign of judgment. Always. It's why we're water baptized. The old is gone, you're judged, but the new comes back up. It's why Genesis 1-2, water covered everything and darkness was everywhere. It's why the pigs, when the spirits went into them, ran off into the water. Water has always been a place of judgment. And the only way the rainbow is seen is through judgment. God is light. The rainbow is the light spectrum, Roy G. Biv. It also says that God is judge because it's only visible through water. God is creator because when he gave it, he said, I'm God over all creation. It's my covenant with all. And he's also redeemer because he made a covenant with humans. So when the rainbow appears in the sky, here's what we get. God is a creator, judge, who redeems all creation. That's what the whole kingdom message is. He's creator, but he's also judge. But he's also redeemer, and he's working to bring it all together so that the world knows him to accomplish his kingdom. And that was his chosen design of, I believe, why he picked the rainbow. Because how else would we know he's light except to see it through the water. All the spectrums of the color. Here's the conclusion. I'll leave it up there and let you fill it in. The rainbow is God's chosen design because it's a sign to humans and a remembrance to God that he's sovereign over all creation for the purpose of the advancement of his kingdom on earth in order to establish the throne of God upon the earth For one thing, to clarify those who are his. He's trying to work so that the world can see the difference. This is a bad phrase, but it just kind of says it. Between us and them. God's kids and the devil's kids. And when we get on the green line of the kingdom, it becomes evident who's his. For we lack nothing in this world. Let me pray for you.